Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Drs. Dean and Aisha Scherzai will join us to discuss the Alzheimer's solution. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question a week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. To the Grok's Science Show. Well, in the first book presenting the only scientifically proven solution to the international epidemic of Alzheimer's disease, award-winning neurologist Dean and Aisha Scherzai, co-directors of the Brain Health and Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University Medical Center, reveal that Alzheimer's disease, dementia, and other neurodegenerative diseases are 90% preventable through the choices we make every day. Very pleased to welcome both Drs. Dean and Aisha Scherzai, who've written the new book, The Alzheimer's Solution, a breakthrough program to prevent, reverse the symptoms of cognitive decline at every age. And uh, Dr. Dean and Aisha Scherzer, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Uh, well, it's it's certainly a fascinating book you've written here, The Alzheimer's Solution, where you talk about the evidence and prescription for trying to prevent Alzheimer's disease. Before we get started, I'm first curious, how did uh, both of you uh, become interested in Alzheimer's disease? Well, for us, it was a personal journey because we both had grandparents suffered from this from this disease, and we saw these incredibly strong human beings slowly and gradually lose parts of themselves to the point where they couldn't really recognize their children and their grandchildren, and that left a mark on us at a very young age. And when we entered the field of medicine, um, going into neurology, uh, we were quite interested in human behavior and brain health in general and cognition. Um, but when, when it came to the clinical side, it was very, very negative, almost uh, nihilistic and very bleak. Um, it, we had fancy um, instruments to diagnose Alzheimer's disease and cognitive impairment, but from then on, it was nothing. You know, here you go. You have Alzheimer's disease. You have the diagnosis, and it was time to start thinking about nursing homes and uh, end-of-life care. Um, and there had to be another way. So we looked into neuroimaging and all the very phenomenal research that was going on, and we found out that lifestyle has to do a lot with it. And one of the reasons we came to Loma Linda University was because this is the only validated blue zone area, uh, meaning it's one of the five areas in the world where they have the largest number of centenarians and they have a 10-year advantage of living longer than the rest of the population. So we studied the population, and we found out that there's a lot that one can do during our lifetime to prevent this disease. Um, namely addressing nutrition and exercise and stress management and optimizing cognitive activity. And these are information that have been known for a very long time but really hasn't been translated very well in the, in the community setting. And the reason is because physicians don't have the medium or the, the, the time or, or the education to translate lifestyle uh, uh, to clinical setting. Uh, we, are, uh, we do procedures and we, uh, we write prescriptions. So that's the the main reason that uh, there has been a disconnect. The data has been there. It's very strong. And this book uh, comes from our experience in the community uh, where we actually also go to the communities often and see the devastation there versus 
um, uh, places where people live healthfully, and the difference is in, in, in remarkable. And it all has to do with the lifestyle. It's personalized lifestyle, um, and that's the whole point of the book, and that's why 100% of the profits from the book are going to be going back to the communities. Do you think this is something endemic, not just to this particular area of medicine, but most areas of medicine where it's really about treating the disease rather than preventing the disease? Right, I, I, exactly. I think we're becoming more of a sick care society rather than health care. Um, the emphasis has always been, it's necessary, of course, but uh, there's just too much emphasis on addressing the disease at its later stages and not quite understanding the whole spectrum of the disease and how it starts in preventing it. In fact, it's, it's not even later. It's at the, at the point of the uh, onset of the final stages of the disease, stroke. We never find out about stroke until the patient has a stroke in the clinic or in the hospital. I mean, and same thing with all the other diseases. That has cost us significantly financially and socially. And healthcare, we always say, starts at home and it starts in the communities, but it's never uh, translated there. So the, one of the aims of this book is to kind of personalize and empower people to bring it with, around their own strengths. What do you think are some of the uh, misunderstandings about Alzheimer's disease? Certainly, I think a lot of people think that it's primarily a genetic disorder, and if you have the genes for it, uh, there's, there's probably nothing you can do, but you're saying that's not correct. Almost all diseases are genetic, except if you have a car crash or you know, trauma, something like that. Even uh, uh, So every other disease has genetic underpinnings, of course. But some diseases are strongly driven by genes, uh, specific genes. For example, for example, Huntington's disease if your father has it and you have certain, it's one gene, chromosome 4, then the son will have it. We, we, almost, we can almost predict when they will have it. But other diseases, other chronic diseases of aging, don't have one, disease, one gene. It's a polygenetic uh, uh, model. And in Alzheimer's so far, we've identified nearly 30 genes. Um, um, and these genes, uh, for the greater part, actually don't speak to Alzheimer's. It's our, our ability to withstand chronic trauma. So you have vascular genes and a spectrum of those. You have inflammatory genes. You have oxidative genes. And you have genes for lysosomal storage, meaning how the garbage disposal, how the, the cells get rid of, how efficiently they get rid of waste. And everybody gets a whole slew of these genes and, and uh, you know, the spectrum of good or bad. And that gives you a range. That range is, 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 you know, anywhere between 10, 20, 30 or years or longer. What happens to you in life determines if you're going to be closer, that, that, you know, at the, at the um, uh, front end of that uh, spectrum, you know, earlier or later. Uh, multiple traumas to the head, your genetic profile is going to, sh you know, be pushed closer to 60s and you know, 70s. But if you have lived a healthful life, you know, good nutrition, uh, exercise, um, uh, sleep hygiene and sleep, good sleep, restorative sleep, stress management, not just stress reduction, stress management, which we speak about intensively, and more importantly, uh, a, a cognitive activity throughout life, that actually pushes it to the end of that genetic spectrum. So, yeah, it's gene. The reason we say 90% and not 100% is because for Alzheimer's, there are those three genes, presenilin-1, presenilin-2, and APP, where 5% or so of the, of the people that actually have Alzheimer's have these genes, and those are strongly driven by, by those genes, meaning that, yeah, you can affect it through, with lifestyle, but you're going to get it earlier, uh, much earlier. So, but the, for, the rest, for the rest of the population that are at risk for Alzheimer's, or, uh, that can be affected significantly by lifestyle, 
and nobody speaks about that. And it's nothing controversial. We're not saying anything controversial. We're just bringing it on paper. We're personalizing it. We're empowering communities. The data has been there. And not to belabor this point, we've been looking at the brain as if it's a completely non-organ entity. It's a black box where we don't know it. It's the same as heart and any other organ, but is affected much more by lifestyle and, and what happens environmentally. This three-pound organ, or 2% of the body, actually consumes 25% of the energy of the body, continuously, even at night. So, of course, it's going to be affected by what you put into it three times or four times a day, how much stress you put, put into it, how much exercise and you know, neuro, neurotrophic factors you put into it, uh, how good of a sleep you get, because it's restorative sleep means you get rid of the waste products. That's you know, uh, one of the best ways to get rid of uh, toxins and, and inflammatory products, and even amyloid is a restorative sleep. Of course, the brain is going to be much more responsive to good health and much more affected by bad habits. So this is important to speak about this and, and take it uh, to the communities and to homes. I mean, it certainly sounds like all the things that are part of the plan, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction, all these things, you know, they're good for the body, so it makes sense that they're kind of good for the brain. Absolutely, absolutely. We always say that. The only reason we um, wanted to make this more of an evidence-based book is because there's a lot of confusion as to what good health is or good nutrition is or, you know, how much you need to exercise for your brain to benefit from it. So, you know, based on the data that we have from years and years, we kind of clarified all that confusion um, and the clutter and the noise that is out there and gave people, you know, an evidence-based plan to personalize. Uh, We've reviewed 300 articles, including our own research, our own clinical research, our own uh, database analysis and and, uh, extensive reviews and meta-analyses. And it's, you know, from nutrition, it's, you know, eliminate sugar. Sugar is a poison. And and the confusion is, so now these fat things like paleo and everything else, oh, so sugar is bad, but but saturated fat is not bad. No, both of them. Uh, Polyunsaturated is not bad. Monounsaturated is not bad. Legumes uh, um, uh, and and beans and nuts and those things are not bad, but saturated fat and sugar is bad. And the data is com- uh, is there. It's out there and 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 significant amount of data. In fact, even uh, we did a research on a large uh, population, 144,000, which showed that a, a Mediterranean, but the most important component was the plant-based, reduces your risk for stroke by 40%. I mean, we don't have a drug that reduces your risk. There it is, nutrition. Same thing with dementia and, and, and Alzheimer's. So uh, what happens is the, the, the confusion comes from the fact that um, uh, uh, alternative uh, views are pushed because it's easy. Everybody wants to know bacon is going to save your life. I mean, I want to hear that, but it can't, and that's why they're going to have bestsellers. Or on Time Magazine, that butter is back. Where is the data? Please show me the data. And anecdotes do not data make. So it's really important that this, important, that this time where the fastest growing epidemic, Alzheimer's, in the last 10 years it has grown by 87%. No other disease has grown by that much. In fact, they're in decline. At this point, we're introducing confusion because we want to sell a few books. We see the outcome in the communities, in the clinics. We see the outcome with families devastated, vascular dementia, and Alzheimer's is a vascular component. And for us to spread the easy answer and not the accurate answer is criminal. 
So that's why we are actually coming up with this data. So what would you recommend then for people looking then to establish their own kind of plan for preventing Alzheimer's disease? Right. I think the first step is just awareness. If if people are concerned or if they have a family history, just being aware that these particular lifestyle factors matter quite a bit, and not not necessarily later when uh, when some of the symptoms arise, but very early on. Uh, that to address them is important. We now know that um, the disease process actually starts 20 to 30 years earlier um, before any symptoms uh, manifest. So, you know, addressing life as early as possible is the best way to go. And then when it comes to the particulars and the details, you know, identifying things that, um, that one uh, needs to work on the most. Say, for example, you know, you're eating a healthy uh, meal, but your sleep is just terrible. So addressing that first, um, making sure that you get uh, help from uh, from a physician to find out whether uh, you have sleep apnea or any other sleep disorders that affects the sleep. Or for somebody else, for example, who doesn't move quite a bit, um, exercise. It, it's a very personalized approach. It's, it's one of the unique aspects of this book is empowerment. So we're not just throwing data at people. It's really important, it was really important for us to make sure that we create a habit-producing uh, uh, process, meaning uh, a, a process that is personalized that can help build habits. Uh, so what we do is we build around individual strengths. There's actually a section which guides the, the, the reader on how to build around your strengths one step at a time. That's critical. And we don't believe in a cookie-cutter approach or you know, an all-or-non-phenomenon. We say every small change towards a better brain health makes a big difference. And we actually have objective evidence for that. Um, we have objective evidence from a large database where we saw that every incremental change in food, um, you know, replacing one bad item with a, with a good item, makes a big difference. It actually reduces the risk for cognitive impairment and stroke uh, by, by many factors. The book is called Alzheimer's Solution, but it actually is brain health preservation. Uh, what, what you undertake here, I mean, we, we, we worry about preserving our heart, our kidney, but our self, our personality, the seat of all this, the brain, is often ignored because it's deemed too complex. No, these very um, personalized approach for brain health that we are bringing is going to affect your stroke risk, which is the third leading cause of mortality and morbidity, Parkinson's risk, uh, and depression, but more importantly, degenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. So the whole point was to empower the individual and the family to bring brain, bring brain health into their home, not just to avoid Alzheimer's, but to bring and sustain a vibrant brain, a healthy brain throughout life. I would say some of the things that have not really been addressed quite a bit um, in, in our lives are the effect of um, um, stress. And, and sleep. I mean, when you look at stress specifically in different large databases, stress literally eats the brain. It shrinks the brain. It causes um, the release of certain hormones like cortisol and epinephrine that uh, causes uh, damage to the arteries that supply oxygen and nutrition to the brain. It actually causes the uh, production of inflammatory agents that eat away brain tissue. And when you compare the brains of people who have had long-standing stress compared to those that don't or compared to those who actually have stress management strategies in place in life, there's, there's a significant difference. So you can actually see the difference in their brain structure. And the same thing goes for sleep. You know, we, we always, as physicians, take pride in the fact that 
we work so hard that we don't need sleep. We sleep only three or four hours a day, and we're great the next day. Of course, we're just guzzling down coffee and trying to keep, keep our eyes open. But we now know that, you know, even one night of sleep deprivation actually causes damage to the brain. Um, there's a particular protein that has been associated with Alzheimer's disease called amyloid protein. And in different studies, they've seen that if one doesn't sleep for one night, the level of beta amyloid actually goes up in the cerebrospinal fluid, which means that the brain was not able to get rid of all that byproduct and the waste products during sleep. So, you know, Dean and I always say sleep is the best cleanse or detox for the body. You know, we live in Los Angeles. We hear about cleanses and detoxes all the time. But sleep is one of the best ones because it literally is the garbage disposal uh, of the brain. It gets rid of all the byproducts and also consolidates memory and puts it in the, you know, proper file cabinets for us to uh, be able to retrieve them later. That's why we call it, uh, we don't just say people, you know, uh, talk about sleep, but we talk about restorative sleep. You can knock anybody out with the right amount of drugs. That's why medication, we talk a lot about medication in the book and, and, and its a relationship to the brain. Um, but just because you're out, it doesn't mean that you've gone through the phases of sleep and you've done the cleansing and, and consolidating. Restorative sleep means that you've had the seven hours, seven and a half hours that have allowed the brain to go through the cycles, to cleanse the brain, as well as put the memories into the right folders. Sleep is one of the most important things. In fact, in a couple of studies show that uh, it, uh, people who have sleep apnea, which is under underdiagnosed, their chances of getting Alzheimer's is increased by as much as 70%. Incredible. I mean, if, if there's sort of any common thread or mechanism all these approaches are targeting, it seems to me as if it's sort of trying to reduce stress, uh, inflammation, so those toxin buildups, all these sorts of things then are just... Absolutely, yeah. I agree. Another component is uh, mental activity. So as soon as we say mental activity, people are thinking about little dots on the screen that they have to follow and... Uh, or Sudoku, yeah. uh, which I hate. Um, uh, it's not about that. It's complexity. Complexity helps the brain. Uh, that's why one of the biggest factors for protecting the brain is your, the complexity of your job. Uh, people who've had complex jobs are protected even in spite of, let's say, poor diet. Uh, so co job complexity is significant, but, but complex activities throughout life, uh, when we're talking about games or activities that challenge the brain, I say one of the sections in the book actually speaks to your personal approach to this, and that's the value of this book. The personal approach, for example, for me, I'm a terrible musician. I, I play guitar as bad as you can get, but I've been doing it for 30 years. I love it, and it challenges me. It challenges the, hear, the listener, too, but that's, that's a different problem. But it's, it's critical that, that, you know, for people to find what is in their life that they love, that's important, that is complex, which means that it's not just one little putting not numbers in a column, but involves visual spatial, attention, processing, uh, motor skills, and emotion. Music does all of that. Uh, art does all of that. Just Not just reading, but reading a chapter and then reviewing it, summarizing it, writing it down, and writing your thoughts. Those are complex activities that bring all of the brain into, into activity. So that's why we've actually gone over this, and that's what's protective for the brain, uh, significantly protective, more than anything else, ironically. And it makes sense. You're, you have 87 billion to 100 billion neurons. Even if you lose billions, look at, let's look at this. Each neuron can make a few connections or as many as 10 to 30,000 connections. 
I mean, when people compare the brain to a muscle, it's such disservice to, to the brain. A, the biggest muscle is maybe three, four times bigger than its base state. The brain neurons can make 30,000 connections, which can withstand anything. Uh, so uh, complex cognitive activities that are in line with your values, with your, uh, uh, your joys, and, and challenge you throughout the day is what needs, needs to be done. It's called brain reserve. Uh, I'm curious if you both have some final words regarding information, perhaps uh, a little bit about your research, and uh, if you want to learn more, where they can go. Uh, we, yes, we, we have a fairly comprehensive clinic as well as research and, and intervention program here at Loma Linda. Uh, two things we want them to know is, um, first of all, all the proceeds, all the profits go back to the communities because that's where we see um, where the, the greatest need is. Um, and, and second of all, if they want to get the book, they can go to Amazon and go look at the Alzheimer's Solution and, uh, and our name, as well as they can go to our website, which is Team Sherzai, S-H-E-R-Z-A-I, dot com forward slash book. Um, and um, uh, we would love to hear your feedback and how you've applied it to your lives. That's, that's more important to us. All right. Well, the, the new book is uh, The Alzheimer's Solution, a breakthrough program to prevent and reverse the symptoms of cognitive decline at every age. The authors, uh, Drs. Dean and Aisha Shurzai. And uh, Dr. Shurzai, both of you, <laughs> I'd like to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having thank us, you. Charles. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.